just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Friday. It's been kind of a crazy week. A lot of things we didn't expect happened, and we'll be talking about a lot of that in this particular program. Now, I wanted to bring something up before I got into our emails. Yes, we have more emails. I was whining about the emails, and you folks have come out in full force and keep me well supplied with emails now. Thank you very much. Keep that shit up. But before I get to that, I wanted to bring something up. Uh, you know, I, I post the TikToks I do, and I post uh, the announcements of the podcast on my Facebook page. And, uh, you know, this is a place where people can ask questions or make comments or whatever, and that's why I do it. Well, last night, there was a comment on one of these posts regarding yesterday's podcast. And... Um, this poster came on and said, don't forget to mention this on your next podcast. And it was regarding the documents that were found um, at, at Joe Biden's think tank and in his garage. And you'll never guess who it was. It was Brian Wallenberg. Now, if you don't remember the name, you will remember the guy because he was the first Trump fuck that I talked to on the podcast. Now, when we did that first podcast, it was prior to the midterms. And he says, well, you have to be on my show after the midterms, after the big red wave. I said, sure. If once you're done with the podcast on my show, if you still want me to come on, I'd be happy to do it. Well, the funny thing is, after that podcast aired and Brian Wallenberg didn't come off real well in the show, I never heard from him again. I even reached out to him, and he didn't respond. So I just assumed he skulked off, and I wasn't going to hear from him again. And I, of course, never ended up on a show either, which I assumed that would be the case after he got embarrassed on my show. Well, that said, apparently he's feeling a little bucky now, because he's the one that responded to my post regarding yesterday's podcast. He put a link in to the documents found in Joe Biden's think tank and in his garage. Don't forget to mention this on your podcast, Mike. And it's also Brian Wallenberg. Here's a guy that's not the brightest guy in the world. And if you heard the podcast, you have gathered that as well. He was pretty much embarrassed in that situation. Everything he said was not true. The red wave never came, and I expected never to hear from him again. But yesterday night, I did hear from him. I said, wow, Brian, you're getting kind of brave, aren't you? Tell you what, <laughs> I'm going to be recording the podcast for tomorrow very soon. How about I send you a Zoom link, and uh, you can tell me all about it. You can teach me a lesson or two. Well, not surprising. Uh, he was busy tonight. He couldn't do it. He said, maybe I could do it this weekend. Oh, remember, you're going to be on my show. 
I said, dude, I've been waiting to be on your show since the midterms, but you don't respond to me. You don't talk to me. But clearly you feel pretty strong about these documents that Joe Biden allegedly had, and you want to talk about it. So come on my show, and we'd be happy to give you the forum and the platform to do that. And again, he seemed reluctant, and it doesn't look like he is going to come on anytime in the near future. And frankly, that's okay. You know, we did the show. It was fun. It wasn't that fun for me because it was pretty easy. The kid isn't too bright. He believes everything he hears on Fox News. It isn't hard to dispute anything he says. And after doing the two Trump fucks I did in the podcast, I said, you know, I'm probably not going to do that again. It's just, it's just not worth the time. But when I saw him step up like that, I said, fuck you, come on the podcast. Let's see what we can do, knowing that he probably wouldn't. I like to just put Brian Wallenberg in his place from time to time. When he steps up and thinks he's a hot shot and thinks he's smart and thinks he's putting me in my place. Brian Wallenberg, no Trump LaFuck could ever do that to me. And that challenge is out there for any Trump LaFucks that think they can. That said, I'm not actively looking to talk to Trump LaFucks. They're kind of a time suck. They don't offer any insights or any facts or any knowledge. It's just like whack-a-mole for me. Every time they stick their head up, I slap it. And that's, that's fun a couple of times, but after a while it gets, it gets kind of dull and can't be all that interesting to listen to. But Brian Wallenberg is back, and he thinks he's on to something. So we'll see what he does. I'm not going to really encourage him to be on the show because, like I say, it's a time suck. However, if he does ask me to be on his show, I'll jump on that motherfucker in a minute. (laughs) I have a feeling one of two things will happen after that show is recorded. It will either never air or it will be highly edited. But... I know enough about editing, so I'll make it virtually impossible for him to edit it and not still look stupid. So I'm guessing it will probably never air. I'm guessing he'll probably never, ever um, come to the point where he asks me on the show. It's, it's great being a tough guy on Facebook, but when it comes to actually doing what you said, especially when you've been wrong so much, yeah, it's hard to come through on that situation. Anyway... Brian Wallenberg will not be on the show today, and I think that's a relief to me, a relief to you. (laughs) That said, I would have fucking done it if he had the balls to actually come on the show just to put him in his place. It annoyed me that much that he thought he was tough enough to do this. Motherfucker does not learn a lesson, does he? And the only thing you can do with people who don't learn a lesson, teach those motherfuckers again until they do learn. All right, we're going to start the show off with some emails, as we have been doing as of late. This first one comes from Don from Kalamazoo, Michigan. You know who's to say that Trump-appointed lawyer didn't plant those Biden documents? That's a mighty convenient development after the Refuckleckins took the House. That's his word, not not my word, Refuckleckins. I like it. Took the House. Mighty fishy. Trump-appointed lawyer is all I needed to hear. Shake my head. The fucking Refuckleckins have a boner for it, too. (laughs) Okay. 
fuck working on bills for us. They're just going to be festering hemorrhoids and stir the shit for two years. It's all a sideshow to cover up Trump's shit. He should still be first in line for indictment. Fucking pisses me off. This is all a cheap fucking diversion. Don of Kalamazoo. Well, Don, you're pretty wired up, and I don't blame you. I don't blame you. You're absolutely right. This is diversion and bullshit. And uh, the whole idea of these documents being planted by Trump LaFox. When I first heard that, I go, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, I hate conspiracy theories, whether they come out of the mouths of Republicans or Democrats, because Democrats can do it too. And for me, it seemed like that would be just a conspiracy theory. But then I started thinking about it a little bit. Thinking about the last six years, the lengths that Trump LaFox went to divert, distract, or to delay, to lie, cheat, and steal. They did some crazy, stupid stuff. And when I realized... Uh, or thought about the possibility that they might have planted these documents, I thought to myself, that would be so stupid. But, of course, Trump LaFucks are notably stupid. And then I realized something. I said, you know, there's a way to know for sure if they planted these things. Because these documents would have been stored or whatever prior to the Trump presidency. Because this is when Joe Biden was vice president. So all the documents in these documents that were found either in his garage or at the uh, think tank would have had to predate 2016. Now, if these documents don't predate 2016, then it's reasonable to think they were planted by some trump Because you understand when Donald Trump was president of the United States, Joe Biden was a private citizen. He didn't have access to top secret documents. But we know during the time Donald Trump was in office, he was fucking around with all kinds of top secret documents. We know that uh, he stole top secret documents. We know that he lied to the FBI and tried to hide these top secret documents. So from, well, he took over in January of 2017 all the way through January of 2021. If those documents are dated in that time frame, it had to be done by somebody in the Trump organization because Joe Biden wouldn't have had access to documents in that time period. So it'll be interesting if they'll able to flesh that out and see what actually happened. The bottom line is people try to make it an equivalent thing that Joe Biden did it, Donald Trump did it, all the same thing, and it's clearly not. When Joe Biden's lawyers found these documents, they immediately turned them over to the National Archives and notified the uh, DOJ to investigate it, which is what you're supposed to do. Now, it's different on the Donald Trump side, of course. He stole these things in the dark of night, put them in boxes and on a plane, and took them down to his shithole resort, Mar-a-Lago, and then he hid them. God knows what he did. I just imagine Donald Trump taking all these top-secret documents, throwing them on the floor, and rolling around naked in them. <laughs> now, if there's anything you want... 
to lose your appetite over. That picture would certainly do it. But the Republicans are all up in arms. Oh, <laughs> oh, put Joe Biden in jail. This is illegal. We should investigate. Well, let's be perfectly honest. It's ironic that they would say that because if they think Joe Biden should be kicked out of office or go to jail, then they'd have to be saying the same thing about Donald Trump because Donald Trump did what Joe Biden is alleged to have done and much, much more. These people are so stupid. They don't think ahead. And there is going to be a lot raining down on them when the indictments start to fall with the top secret documents and Donald Trump's theft of them and misuse of them and lying to the DOJ. This is going to be a big problem. And we know they're getting closer to that moment of indictments. So we'll see what happens. So, Don, when I was originally thinking about these documents in Joe Biden's think tank and in his garage, and somebody said, it's kind of fishy. Maybe they were planted. Immediately I thought, that's fucking crazy. But after you give it more thought, you think, you know, we've seen crazier shit out of the Trumplifux. So it's a distinct possibility. And if we've got a special counsel now, maybe we'll be able to find out who left them there and why. And can you imagine if we find out that it was the Trumplifux doing it? Yet another embarrassment, yet another fail by Donald Trump and his Trumplifux. I almost kind of expect it at this point. All right, the next one comes from a gentleman by the name of Gordon. He's written a number of times, and this one interests me. I've got a retort to this one. He says, good morning, Mike. I'm enjoying your podcast every morning since you started out and follow your TikToks. I love them. Thank you very much. I've noticed something lately in regards to emails I've sent to you. The last two you didn't reply or even read on the show. That being said, I'll not send any more emails. Well, you just sent an email, dude. And I know you don't give a shit because that's your personality. Ha ha, but I'm still going to listen. And let's be honest, here's that's all you care about. Keep up the good shit, Gordon. Now, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or serious here or whatever. But here's the thing, Gordon. You say you wrote two emails. I didn't even read them on the air. Now, I make a commitment to read almost every email that I get. Now, that said, there can be times where it gets caught up in the mess and I, I, I don't realize it and I don't read it. Being a human, and some people question that, but I am a human. I can make mistakes. I could forget things. But here's the thing, Gordon. I know at least two days ago, I read one of your fucking emails. I know I read it because I announced your name. You signed it with G, but I still said it was Gordon. Now, Gordon, you're accusing me of not airing your emails. Well, I'll accuse you of not listening very fucking carefully. <laughs> I read your goddamn email. I read this email. So stop your whining. All right, the next one. This is a longer one, and this one comes from Gary. All right, let's get to it. 
Gary says, I listened to your podcast today as usual and enjoyed your stories about the early days of the music industry. I have what I believe is a very interesting story of the early days of music slash TV industry. And as I've told you, I love stories. I love telling stories and I love hearing stories. So this should be interesting. I've talked to Gary a number of times, and uh, he does have some very interesting stories. In the 1950s, there was a popular TV dance show called American Bandstand with Dick Clark. It was also popular in the 60s and the 70s. The show was out of Philadelphia, and soon similar such shows developed in other TV markets across the country. In the late 50s, there was a movement to integrate the live dance shows and have both black and white teens dance on the show. The Dick Clark Show decided not to allow this on his show, but there was another show in the Midwest called Dance Party, and the producer and star of that show in Jefferson City, Missouri, decided to integrate his show and announced a date that both black and white teens would be welcome at the TV station for the live show. Well, this was a bit too much integration for some people in southern Missouri in 1959, and the KKK took up the issue and decided to protest and uh, protest the plan and blockade the TV station if the show took place. The show's producer and host, a 17-year-old local high school student, stood his ground and moved forward with plans for the show. He and his family began getting death threat phone calls at home. His parents and family were very concerned and scared of what the KKK might actually do. Remember, this was the time of Emmett uh, Emmett Till's execution by the Klan. He prepared to go to the TV station on that Friday night against his parents' concerns. He did have one fear, that the Klan might damage his beautiful 1955 Ford convertible, but was not worried about his own safety. When he arrived at the TV station, he found lots of teens, both blacks and whites, in the parking lot, and the KKK in their robes and on horseback, blocking the entrance to the station. The host gathered the teens and they charged through the line of the KKK assholes and into the station. He then hosted the first integrated live teen dance show. The show continued for the rest of the season, even though there was pressure on sponsor Pepsi and the TV station to cancel. The host was the first to battle for integration on TV. The show ended when he graduated from high school and went on to journalism school at the University of Missouri. Later in life, a career in TV news. He was approached by, uh, in L.A. by a writer who wanted to write a movie about his early experiences fighting the dance show integration. The writer called his work Hairspray, which has become a popular movie and musical. The story is special to me as this TV host and inspiration for Hairspray was my brother, uh, Judd McIlvain. And I will never forget the day in 1959 when my family feared being attacked and killed by the KKK. Judd continued to be a champion for the little guy his entire career. I'll send a picture of the dance party show. Have a great day and keep up the great podcast, Gary. Well, Gary, that is an awesome story. That's an amazing story. And I think a lot of people don't realize, the younger people anyway, they don't realize that this desegregation or segregation that was going on doesn't go back in ancient history. It's back in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. 
I was born in 1960, so when I was a young lad, this segregation stuff was still in the works. The Civil Rights Amendment wouldn't pass till later in the decade. For your brother to have done that, that is pretty courageous and pretty amazing. And Gary, thank you for the story. That is an excellent story. If you have other stories out there, Gary, or anybody else, I love reading these stories because there's some intriguing things in people's lives. People say that to me. They say, you know, you come on, you got a lot of stories. A lot of people I know, I'll tell stories in person. They say, man, you got a lot of stories. And I always tell them, we all have fucking stories. We just have to recognize those stories, put them together in our minds, and tell them. Those stories are very valuable to me. And they should be valuable to everybody else. Don't think nobody cares because people do care. That's a wonderful story. And I'm glad I've heard it. And I'll probably retell it to somebody else, giving Gary proper credit. But these stories and our historical adventures or experiences are very important to our future. They're very important to each of us. Because when we're laying there on our deathbed, all our toys, all our possessions will be sold in garage sales and estate sales. The one thing we can hold on to, the, to that very last moment is our memories and those things that were joyous and important to us. And this story is a perfect example of that. And the fact is we all have important stories in our life and we should relish in those stories, retell the stories. I know my sons get bored hearing me tell the stories I tell. But I explain to them in 40 years when I'm gone, you're an older man now and you'll sit back and you'll think, what was that story dad told me? That was a good story. And you'll want to remember it. So never admonish somebody for telling a story about their history. It's important to them. And if you listen to it, it could very well be valuable and important to you. So again, Gary, thank you for that story. All right, the next one is from Douglas. He says, hey, Mike, Elder Gen X here. So we're probably pretty close in age because I'm a younger boomer. I was born in 1960 and boomers only go to 64. If you're an Elder Gen X, we're probably in the same peer group. I've been listening to your TikToks for a while and podcasts since the fall. We seem to have a few things in common. I studied broadcasting in the hopes of becoming the next Dr. Johnny Fever morning drive time DJ. For you f younger folks that don't know who Dr. Johnny Fever is, there was a show back in the day, a sitcom called WKRP in Cincinnati. It was about a radio station. And the morning man was a guy played by Howard Hessman. His name on the show was Dr. Johnny Fever. And I got to tell you, after watching that show and having worked in the business for as long as I had, it was a little goofy. It was a little funny. It was a little campy. But it was very close to some of the things I experienced in the radio business. That's a fucking weird business. He goes on to say, unfortunately, by the time I was ready to join the working world, the world of radio didn't work like WKRP any longer. And that's absolutely true. People will say to me, Mike, what would you recommend to get in the radio business? I said, don't get in the fucking radio business. Now is not the time to get in the radio business. When I was in it, there was very little money. Now there's even less. There's a few people here and there that make 
a pretty good living, but most people don't. It's just, it's not a great field to get in right now. If you really feel compelled to being on the air and talking, just do what I'm doing. Do a podcast. Either way, you're not going to make a lot of money, but at least you don't have people telling you what to fucking do. You don't have to be there every day at a specific time and have to listen to dumb fucks in suits. Don't go into radio. That's not the place to be at this point. Douglas goes on to say, I was raised in southeast Iowa with a lot of conservative influence. I still identify with a few conservative ideals. The behavior of the current Republican Party is deplorable. I'd love to pop into your podcast at some point and share a few jokes, drinks, and ideas to help solve the world's problems. Peace, brother. Douglas. Well, you know, yesterday I I got a note from Denise who was also interested in being in the show, and I'll tell you how this works. I said, Denise, send me an email and tell me when you're ready. So we emailed back and forth a little bit yesterday. And later tonight for tomorrow's show, Denise is going to be on the program. She's a listener, and she has some things to say, and I'm looking forward to it. Anytime I can have a listener as a guest on the show, I'm absolutely on board. Some people have come to me and said, you know, I never thought the idea of having a listener on the show would really work, but it actually turned out pretty well. Now, I always knew it would turn out pretty well because it's something I've done many, many times over the years. And people say, what do you mean? Well, I spent a lot of time working in talk radio, some as a producer, some as a host. And that's basically the same thing, except instead of a bunch of callers, we have one. So I knew it was going to work. And so Denise will be on for tomorrow's show, I believe, assuming everything works out properly. And Douglas, if you want to be on the show as a listener, you are qualified. All you do is send me an email. You know the email address, rationalboomer at gmail.com. Tell me when you're available, what time zone you're in, and what time of day you're available. And then we'll work it out from there. But I'd love to talk to you, especially somebody who had the... uh, the idiocy of even thinking of going into radio. You're the kind of goofball I want to talk to. All right, this next one comes from Rebecca. She says, hi, Mike, Rebecca again. I've done some research and just want to make sure I understand the process correctly. If the Republicans pass a bill in the House, it still has to go before the Senate and pass before it becomes law. That is correct. And then after that, it has to go to Joe Biden's desk, and he has to sign it. She goes on to say, why does it sound like all of a sudden the repubs have all the power? I feel the left media is fear-mongering like the far right about what's happening in the House, and it's very disappointing. They keep reporting about all this bullshit like it's a done deal. Then there's the motherfucker Santos. The people who didn't vote for him, they voted for a phony, fake, fraud, George uh, George Santos. That can't be legit. No, it can't be legit. <clears throat> I know this is a long email, and you don't have to answer it on the podcast, although I really enjoyed the email episode the other night. Uh, first of all, Rebecca, this isn't a long email by some other standards. This is just fine. And uh, unless I forget or miss something, I will always bring out the emails on the show because, uh, as I've said, uh, 
the interaction with the audience is just as important as anything I would do on this podcast. So you'll always uh, have your emails read, assuming I don't make a mistake, Gordon. (laughs) But I always read the emails. I enjoy it very much. And uh, I'll just tell you this. You're right about the media coming out talking about the things that the Republicans are doing in the House as if it's a done deal and as if it's the most horrific thing and the world's going to end. But you have to understand, there is no more journalism anymore. There's no really a valid source of news anymore. Basically, what these news organizations, and I use that term loosely, are basically shit stirs. You have to understand that Prior to Donald Trump taking office, the news outlets, especially the cable news outlets, weren't really getting a lot of viewers. They weren't making a lot of money. They were in trouble. Then Donald Trump comes into office, brings the shit show circus to town, and then all of a sudden everybody's interested in listening to the news, getting the perspective, whether it be the far right or the far left or somewhere in the middle. So immediately, these news outlets realized, hey, there's money in this motherfucker. Let's keep it going. It wasn't hard to do while Donald Trump was in office because every day he created some fucking uproar or outrage. And they kept printing money because people kept going to the news uh, sources to see what was going on. Now Donald Trump's out of office. But these people have made a lot of money off of Donald Trump and the whole trump fuck effect. And they're thinking to themselves, we want to stay on that fucking gravy train. We want to keep making money. So what do they do? Well, we know that Donald Trump stole a bunch of documents and what he did was highly egregious. And then when Joe Biden comes out and has these few documents that they find, they try to make it equal. They want to create the tumult and trauma and and tragedy of it all and stir it up because they want that shit show to continue. And why? Because they're making money off of it. They see Donald Trump fading and they have to figure out different ways to keep the shit show going. And this is how they do it. Now, every time the Republicans do something in the House of Representatives, it's the most tragic thing fucking ever. Oh, my God, the world's going to end. But the fact of the matter is you're absolutely correct. They could pass a million bills. But if it doesn't pass in the Senate, nothing will ever be passed. It won't become law. As I said in yesterday's podcast, there's another factor. You remember when the Democratic House of Representatives sent bill after bill after bill after bill to Mitch McConnell in the Senate when they had the majority. They didn't even vote on these motherfucking things. These bills piled up on Mitch McConnell's desk. He never brought them to the floor. So as much as they won't pass the Senate, there's an excellent chance that Schumer won't even bring them to the floor. So they can pass whatever bill they want, but the fact of the matter is it's never going to happen. These crazy fucking bills are never going to pass the Senate. That's assuming Schumer even brings them to the floor to pass. And you're right. They make this out to be some tragic situation, scary situation, the end of democracy. But it is all bullshit. 
They can say whatever they want, but all they're trying to do is get you geared up, get you wired up, make you scared, make you mad, make you sad. As long as they can stir up an emotion in you, you'll keep watching, they'll keep printing money. But the fact of the matter is, the Republicans are so weak at this point, they have a thin margin in the House of Representatives. Uh, they have a division in the House of Representatives. There's two sides to the Republican Party, so they are immensely weak. They can make noise. They can yell and scream, but they can't accomplish anything. So you're probably saying to yourself, why would they do it then? Well, there's a good reason for that, and that is the grift. You remember when we were they were fighting to get uh, Kevin McCarthy voted in as Speaker of the House. Matt Gates didn't want it. Paul Gozar didn't want it. Well, all the time this is going on, this lengthy attempt to elect Kevin McCarthy to the House of Representatives, you know what those fucks were doing? They were sending out emails trying to solicit donations. We're fighting for the Republicans. We're fighting for democracy. We're trying to keep Kevin McCarthy out of the speaker's job. Send us money. So when you hear them do the things they do, they know, we know, that they'll never come to pass because they can't get it through the Senate. I mean, these fucks did it to the Democrats. Who's to say the Democrats won't do it to them? Of course they will. They don't want this crazy shit passed. But as long as they're talking loud and spewing bullshit, they're going to continue sending out emails playing, we're working hard, we're fighting the good fight, please send us money. So, Rebecca, your question is well taken. But all this stuff you hear from the media and from the House of Representatives, frankly, is bullshit. So don't worry about it. All right, this next one comes from Aaron. He says, hey, Mike, it's Aaron from St. Louis again. Last time I wrote you, I don't think I conveyed my point accurately, so I'll try again. I talked about the Midas Media Group and Legal AF. By no means was I insinuating that you should join them in any way. I understand that you have a complete freedom and ownership of your podcast, and I love it the way that way, so no changes, please. I mentioned Legal AF, and you stated you were not interested in all the legalistic details, and I understand. It can be boring and not irrelevant most of the time. You have mentioned several times that it is often difficult to find material to cover, which leads to my point. It is a great resource for information, farming, and it's 100% in line with what you cover. Legal AF is oftentimes way ahead of the information curve and is not boring analysis of current political information. They oftentimes are privy to information before it's hit the mainstream sources. I thought it might help retain subject matter for you. I have tagged a link for you as an example. Please give it a listen, and if you don't find it helpful, I'll shut up about it. (laughs) Thanks for what you do, and keep up the good work. You know what, Aaron? I don't know if I was suggesting that you were suggesting that I should team up with Midas Touch or or uh, <clears throat> or Legal AF. But I have had other people come to me about that. They say, you know, I'm working with these guys. You should do it too. And I always say, no, I don't want to do that. I mean, frankly, if I did it, I might get more people listening to the show, and that would be great. 
But I just don't like the idea of someone looking over my shoulder and saying, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Because my response to somebody saying you shouldn't have done that would be fuck off. And then that relationship wouldn't last very long. That said, you're absolutely right. You do need sources of information to understand what's going on. And uh, I have listened to some legal AF and some Midas touch as well. And, and they do provide good information. And that's typically what I need, somebody to give me a story and a rough outline, and then I can research it myself and find out what the facts are about it. There was another podcast I listened to recently, and I know I'm late on board to this guy because I've heard his name for years. I just never listened to anything he did. And uh, <clears throat> who I'm talking about is a guy by the name of Keith Oberman. And he has a podcast called Countdown. I didn't know a lot about this guy. Uh, I know he did sports for a while. Then he did news. Then he had a run-in with MSNBC or something like that. Now he's on his own. Uh, I'd never listened to him, really. I didn't listen to his broadcast. I never listened to his podcast. But recently I, I, I did, mainly because I saw him on TikTok. And actually, it was a very good show. <laughs> In fact, it felt very familiar, actually. Because he and I have a similar way of going about things. Now, I will say this, and I, I, I mean this too. He's a far more talented guy than I am. That said, he probably has writers that <laughs> write what he says. So that might give him a bit of an edge. But if you ever get a chance to listen to it, he tells some interesting stories. And he has some good facts and insights. Not all that different than mine uh, on some of the things that are going on in the news at this point. So check out Keith Oberman. And uh, the podcast is called The Countdown. Uh, also check out Legal AF and Midas Touch. They're all really good, and it's a good way to get tidbits of information or sources uh, for information that could lead you down another rabbit hole like it does with me to find out more of the facts and figures of a given story. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. All right, this next story has nothing to do with politics, but it was a big story last night, and I'd be remiss if I don't mention it. We, of course, all know that uh, the daughter of Elvis Presley, Lisa Marie Presley, died last night at the age of 54. Apparently, Lisa Marie Presley was rushed to the hospital on Thursday after suffering a cardiac arrest. She was a young woman, 54 years of age. Presley was most recently seen on Tuesday night at the Golden Globes, which she attended with her mother, Priscilla Presley, to support the Baz Luhrmann film Elvis about her late father. I saw some video of her being interviewed at the, uh, the awards ceremony, and uh, she didn't look good. In fact, she was standing next to somebody, and she said, Do you mind if I hold on to your arm? She was obviously a little unsteady. But this is a tragic situation. I don't know that much about Lisa Marie Presley, but I was a huge fan of her father, Elvis Presley. I was born in 1960, so I came along and wasn't really aware of anything in those early 60s when he was kind of in his heyday as the rocker in the 50s and early 60s. That said, I became a fan because I would see his old movies on television Every, every time they'd come on, I'd sit and watch them. 
And my mom was always wondering why I was so intrigued. And I told her one time, I said, look, the guy looks cool as hell. He wins every race. He wins every fight. He gets every girl. Who the hell? And he sings incredibly. Who the hell wouldn't want to be this cool guy? And every movie would come out. (laughs) Every movie would come out and I'd watch it diligently every fucking time. It got to the point when I was a young man and I said, you know, someday I'm going to be rich and famous. And then what I'm going to do is buy every one of these films. I'm going to have the films. I'm going to have a projector. I'm going to have a screen and I'm going to watch those films any fucking time I want. Little did I know the technology would be such that almost anybody could do that. And actually, when my kids were younger, they bought me a Christmas present of pretty much all of Elvis Presley's movies on DVD. And I did watch them. There's no question. I'd still watch them today, but I don't have a DVD player anymore. But I was intrigued by this guy. And I'll just tell you a little broadcasting story. Now, when, he, when Elvis Presley died in 1977, August of 1977, I was 17 years old. I was working at a radio station in Minneapolis, a public radio station. I was just kind of starting out my career, and uh, I was doing news on the station during the middle of the day or late afternoon or where, whenever it was. Now, everybody at that radio station knew I loved Elvis Presley, and they gave me shit about it constantly. Well, one day, I come into the station, probably two minutes before I'm supposed to be on the air, which was pretty commonplace with me. And I go sit down. Somebody hands me the news to read. Now, if you're a good broadcaster, you pre-read your news. But at 17, I wouldn't say I was a good broadcaster. I was a little lazy, maybe a little cocky thing. I can fucking do this. So I'm sitting down reading the news, and the top news story is Elvis Presley is dead. And everybody was watching me because they knew I would freak out about this because I was a huge fan. And I look up. I'm going, are you guys joking? I turned out the mic. I goes, are you fucking joking with me? No, it's real. Keep going. So I read the whole story about his death and I'm freaking out inside, but I still have to read this copy and try to be somewhat normal. That said, I'm 17. So how good could I have fucking been? Not probably not very good, but it was an interesting way to find that out. And of course, you know, because I was an Elvis fan, I knew he had a daughter, Lisa Marie. She was a cute little kid when I was about that age. Um, and, and of course, she lost her father. And now all these years ago, I think about this poor girl. She lost her father at a very young age. She led kind of a cloistered life because of who her father was. It sounds like she had some tough times. Her son in his 20s, committed suicide a couple years back. That had to be incredibly tragic. But the interesting thing about the Presley bloodline is this. Her grandmother, Gladys Presley, Elvis's mother, died when she was 42. Her father died when he was 42. Her son died in his 20s from suicide. And now here she is at 54, and she passes away from cardiac arrest. 
The whole thing is a tragic story, and uh, it was sad news to hear. I, I don't have a lot invested into Lisa Marie. I didn't really listen to her music. I don't know a lot about her, but by virtue of being related to the daughter of Elvis Presley, it, it's a thing to me. And I know it's a big news throughout the world, so I thought I would mention it here on the podcast. So condolences to the Presley family. And I don't know if you knew this, but she has a daughter. She has three daughters, actually. Uh, but she has one daughter that is uh, a notable actress. Her name is Riley Keough. And she's been in a number of movies and some movies coming up. So the bloodline continues with Riley Keough and her sisters as well. All right, let's get to some news. Uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced Thursday that he would appoint former U.S. Attorney Robert Hur as special counsel to investigate classified documents recently discovered at the home of and office of President Joe Biden from his time as vice president. He said, I'm confident that Mr. Hur will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner and in accordance with the highest traditions of this department. Uh, Garland stated that in a press conference earlier yesterday. Now, of course, there's no comparison to what Donald Trump did, but the Republicans have seized on the discovery in light of the criminal investigation currently with Donald Trump. Um, He moved thousands of documents intentionally, then lied about it and hid it, and God knows did what with it. That's hard to imagine. But there Republicans are leaping on this saying, well, this is exactly the same thing Donald Trump did. And, of course, they're calling for investigations, indictments, and getting kicked out of office, which is ironic because what Joe Biden did was far less and unintentional. And this is the one thing we always hear about indictments and prosecutions. For whatever reason, people at that level, presidents or former presidents, You have to determine what the intent was. Now, the intent of Joe Biden, assuming he left these documents elsewhere or they were planted or whatever the fuck happened, clearly it wasn't anything that was intentional by Joe Biden or his staff or anybody connected to him because they'd been sitting there for six years. Nobody's touched them. Donald Trump, on the other hand, his intent is very clear. He says they are his documents. He says that he had a right to take them, which is not true. And now he was fighting to try to get them back. The intent is very clear with Donald Trump, and the fact that there is no intent from Joe Biden is very clear. That's the difference between a crime and a mistake. Even though the Republicans want to make it uh, equal, an equivalency between the two, because they need the distraction, the delay, the diversion. This is what they always do. And because they've leapt on this and used it to try to drown out all that's going on with Donald Trump, it makes you wonder, did somebody plant it? It seems awfully convenient. Again, that's a crazy thing to think about. But when you think about the six years that we've just gone through with the Trump Lefux, it doesn't seem all that crazy. So I hope this special counsel finds out how those documents ended up where they were ended up. If they find out Joe Biden fucked up, yes, I agree. They should do something about it. 
See, I'm not in love with Joe Biden. He's not my Lord and Savior. I've said all along, I don't think this whole thing is about a fight between Democrats and Republicans. Clearly, it's a fight between those fucks, meaning Democrats and Republicans, and us. Because for decades, in spite of the fact that these people have been elected and paid to serve us, none of them seem to do that. Now, the Democrats are doing it more now because it works well in getting votes away from Republicans. But let's be honest, the Democrats have been around a long time. They've had their times of power, and they haven't done the things they should do. Maybe this is what it takes to shake up the whole system get these folks to realize what their real job is, not lining their pockets with PAC money or money from the wealthy. It's, in fact, to do something for us. And if they don't do something for us, they can count on not getting elected again, regardless of if they're Republican or Democrat. It's really interesting. Now, Garland named a special counsel on November 18th to oversee the Justice Department's review of Trump's documents and the mishandling and his alleged role in the Capitol attack, acknowledging the sensitive politics involving the investigation. Of course, he chose Jack Smith. We all know the name. And he's a former war crimes prosecutor. He's a tough motherfucker. And uh, it sounds like we're getting closer to something coming out of Jack Smith. Now, since Jack Smith has taken over, there's been a lot of subpoenas and such. So the indictments can't be far behind. Now, lawyers for Biden have found two batches of documents from his time as vice president. They said they found the first cache reportedly around 10 documents on November 2nd as they worked to shutter Biden's old private office at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement in Washington. See, this is where the Republicans are upset. They found these documents on November 2nd, almost a week before the election. And they're going to say that the Democrats held this back so it didn't affect the election. That's where I'm wondering about this whole convenience thing. How was it that they, after six years, happened to be found just prior to the election? It almost seems like something the Republicans would do because they knew they were going to have trouble in the midterms. Well, of course, the Democrats didn't bite. They didn't announce this till after the fact. So they're going to kick about that, and that's fine, and it'll go nowhere because they're just loudmouth fucks that don't accomplish anything. The big difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in this circumstance is how they reacted. The White House said it immediately informed the Justice Department and Biden's lawyers searched other places where classified information may have been placed incorrectly after his vice presidency. They found the second bench in a storage area of the president's Wilmington, Delaware garage. The lawyers completed their search this week, the White House said. Now, on December 14th, Garland assigned U.S. Attorney John Lausch, or Lausch, to look into the matter and tell him whether he felt a special counsel appointment was necessary. Lausch came back with his recommendation last week. Well, of course he did. There's more money in it for him if he's the special counsel. Anyway, Biden said Tuesday that he had been surprised to hear of the documents sitting at his former office and said he did not know what information they contained. 
People know I take classified documents, classified information seriously, Biden said. Thursday morning, he was asked what he was thinking by keeping important records alongside his car. By the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, so it's not like they're sitting out on the street, Biden responded. Richard Sauber, an attorney for Biden, reiterated some of his comments in a statement Thursday afternoon. As the president said, he takes classified information and materials seriously. And as we have said, we have cooperated from the moment we informed the archives that a small number of documents were found, and we will continue to cooperate. Now, that said, we know the Donald Trump did anything but cooperate. He stole these things in the dark of night, kind of, put them on a plane, brought them down to Mar-a-Lago, did whatever he did with them, hid them. When he was asked about them, he picked out some and sent them back and said, there you go. National Archives said, now you got more. He goes, no, we don't. Even his lawyers filled out an affidavit and signed it, says, yep, no more top secret documents. So then the FBI searches Mar-a-Lago and finds another 20 boxes of documents. There's some question if they still has, uh, uh, has some top secret documents. But here's my question. How in the fuck are these top secret documents being found willy-nilly everywhere? How did Donald Trump get a hold of these documents, that many documents, without somebody saying, hey, wait a minute, take them down to Mar-a-Lago? How are documents sitting into some think tank or in Joe Biden's fucking garage? We're led to believe these are top secret or classified documents. You would think they'd be highly protected. But in these situations, no problem at all. We just walk out the door with them, throw them anywhere we fucking please. Now, there is no comparison between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in this situation. Joe Biden presumably didn't do anything wrong. uh, But if he fucked up and there needs to be an investigation or even an indictment, I'm cool with that. (laughs) And this is where the Republicans are are missing the boat because they don't look beyond the end of their nose. They're saying Joe Biden should be kicked out of office because of this, which means they're also saying that Donald Trump is guilty as fuck. If they don't like what Joe Biden is alleged to have done, they've got to agree that Donald Trump was far more egregious. But I just kind of laugh when I think about this and they say Joe Biden should be kicked out of office. I kind of giggle to myself when they say that because I think, okay, let's do that. Let's kick Joe Biden out of office. But then what are we left with? Well, we're left with Kamala Harris as president of the United States, a black woman of all things. My God. The last thing the Republicans would want to see is Kamala Harris as the president. But you kick Joe Biden out. Well, that's what's going to happen. These dumb motherfuckers, they don't want this to happen. Personally, I'm cool with Kamala. She hasn't been out there up front very much in this presidency, but I always liked her. I kind of supported her when she was running for president. I kind of liked her more than Joe Biden because she seemed like a younger, stronger woman who was going to get things done. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, if they want to kick out Joe Biden and have Kamala Harris is their new president. 
I have a feeling they may think twice about that when they realize what they're truly asking for. Like my mom always said, be careful what you ask for because you just might fucking get it. The whole thing about this, it's all a joke. It's all bullshit. It's all diversion, distraction, and delay. It's not going to work. They keep trying to do this, and every time they do it, it gets less effective and less effective every day. All right. Well, Donald Trump is starting to feel cornered. And as I've told you, when he starts to feel cornered, he's going to start to flail. He's going to start screaming and raging about stupid shit. He's going to look ridiculous. And I'm happy to say that's already started. Former President Donald Trump on Thursday raged against special counsel Jack Smith and even accused him of being a terrorist. Jack Smith is a terrorist? My God, I had no idea. I'm curious as to how he can explain that and what evidence he has that says Jack Smith is a terrorist. I seem to think that the only reason he thinks Jack Smith is a terrorist because he doesn't like Donald Trump, that he's trying to indict Donald Trump. Now, during an appearance on Mark Levin's show, Mark Levin, if you've ever seen him, I think he's on Fox. He is a dipshit. He is a douchebag. Anyway, Trump demanded that Smith resign from the case and accused him of being unfairly biased against him. (laughs) Donnie, you're not president anymore. You're a private citizen. You're almost a pariah. You can demand all you fucking want, but nobody's giving you anything you want anymore. Hell, your fucking kids don't even want to talk to you. He said the prosecutor should resign. He's got a conflict, Trump complained. He is a terrorist. He is a Trump hater. Well, who isn't a Trump hater at this point? His own fucking people hate him. His best friends are former Mueller prosecutor Andrew Weissman and all of these characters, Lisa Monaco and the Justice Department, one of the top officials. This is a disgraceful situation. He should resign. See what I mean about flailing? Oh, he's nervous as fuck. As further evidence of Smith's purported corruption, Trump then launched attacks against the special counsel's wife. I have a feeling Jack Smith's not going to like that. He says his wife hates Trump probably even beyond him, he fumed. And his wife has a sister who openly hates like a, a level that you can't even believe. Why does he think this? Well, it's because she worked on a documentary about Michelle Obama. Apparently, that's enough evidence to say she hates Donald Trump. And the fact of the matter is, since she's not the special counsel, it really doesn't matter if she hates Donald Trump. And as I've said, this Donald Trump hate is growing fast all throughout the country and especially through the Republican Party. Now, Trump has routinely attacked the integrity of attorneys who are investigating him, as referred to former special counsel Robert Mueller's probe of his campaign campaign contacts with Russian agents during the 2016 presidential campaign. He said that was a witch hunt. Well, it was not a witch hunt. First of all, we were proven in that report that, in fact, the Russians did meddle in 2016's election, and they did it to benefit Donald Trump. Now, if that isn't a little sketchy, I don't know what. And secondly, he said he was totally exonerated. Well, not exactly the truth. 
You see, in that report, it also said he was guilty of at least 10 separate occasions of obstruction of justice, which are all felonies, which all call for people to go to jail. He thinks because he was not indicted for those obstruction issues that he was exonerated. He was not. It was because of that stupid fucking memo that says you can't indict a sitting president. That's the only reason he was not indicted after that um, investigation. So to call it a hoax or say he was uh, exonerated is absolute bullshit. It's akin to trying to compare the documents in, in Biden's think tank to Donald Trump stealing thousands of documents and hiding them and lying to the FBI. Now, Kevin McCarthy, when he became Speaker of the House, he gave away the fucking store, every power he had, and made promises all over the place. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to release all security camera footage of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol as part of the backroom deal he made with far-right Republicans to get them to step aside and allow him to be elected um, Speaker. Representative Matt Gates is claiming this. Now, first of all, if they did release all the camera footage, I can't imagine how that's going to help the Republicans. We're going to see the Gozars and the Greens and the Boberts doing their fucking little dances with these insurrectionists. That can't possibly help them. But at the same time, I have a feeling that these video snippets or footage are in the hands of the DOJ. And I got a feeling the DOJ is not going to hand over evidence to these fucking idiots to just let everybody see. Now, there might be some in the January 6th evidence, and that will come to light. That'll be something we can see. But it's absolutely ridiculous. They had uh, Kevin McCarthy agreeing to things that he doesn't even have control over. And somebody like Matt Gates is stupid enough to buy it. Now, this revelation came from CNN's Melanie Zanona, who reported Gates' new claim about the details of the deal. Gates hinted in a tweet tonight that was part of their handshake deal and confirmed to CNN that that was, that was what he was referring to. It shows how the full extent of McCarthy's concession still not fully known. We don't know what he gave away. Now, earlier today... When asked at a press conference earlier yesterday, when he was asked at a press conference about how some Republicans had called on former Speaker Nancy Pelosi to release the security footage from the January 6th insurrection, McCarthy said, yeah, I think the public should see what happened. So release the motherfuckers, but release them all. Release them all. Then we'll be able to see what the Republicans did to help out the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the fucking toothless, redneck pieces of shit that shit and pissed all over the Capitol. Release those fuckers. You think the Democrats care about that? They love that. Republican lawmakers have been demanding the release of this footage for almost a year, arguing that it could help exonerate some of the Capitol defendants. Some have also called for footage of previous day to be released to settle longstanding rumors. Now, see, the thing is, they're so stupid that they think this will help them. If nothing else, it's going to hurt them. Now, Gates is one of more than 20 lawmakers who blocked McCarthy. We know all about that. 
took them 15 ballots, the most in over 100 years. And uh, members of the House are still suspicious that McCarthy may have even made more guarantees to hold out, hold out members behind closed doors as part of a deal that has yet to be made public. And I think you can almost guarantee that. We have no idea what he promised. The most important thing is, I don't know that he can deliver all that he promised. But, as I've said all along, this Republican grouping in the House of Representatives with their small majority is going to be an absolute shit show. Kevin McCarthy is going to be lucky to make it through the year as the Speaker of the House, given that uh, he agreed to the motion to vacate with just one people asking for a vote of no confidence. You know that's coming soon. It's just a matter of him getting not enough votes and he's out the door and then they have to get somebody else in. And I hope they do. I fucking hope they do. Because that will cause just more of a shit show in the Republican Party. Causing them to accomplish nothing. And then causing them to lose a lot of seats come 2024. Now, here's a guy I never liked, former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan of Wisconsin. He, he was a Donald Trump fucking lackey for a long time while he was Speaker of the House. He declared former President Donald Trump a proven loser whose influence on the Republican Party is waning. Now, in an interview with Jake Tapper, who I'm not feeling these days lately, I don't like CNN generally, But this aired on Thursday. The 2012 vice presidential nominee weighed in on the current state of politics, including the new Republican majority in the House of Representatives. Now, Tapper asked uh, asked, uh, Paul, what if you were advising Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans right now, who cited estimates suggesting economic growth will slow this year, What would you tell them to do about the U.S. economy? Ryan said he's concerned about a debt crisis and honed in on Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security, which for the life of me, I don't understand why Republicans do that. That is a big-time loser. That is probably a bigger loser than trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. They know it's going to cost them votes, but they still want to try to shove it down people's throats. Keep trying, motherfucker. If you think they're going to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, you got another thing coming. If you thought the ladies and the women of this country rose up with overturning Roe v. Wade, you ain't seen nothing yet because there's a lot of Republicans that live off their Medicare and their Social Security. You will be done for sure. You will sink the Republican Party once and for all. He said, we can make good on our social contract, which I would argue center left and center right, we agree on. He said, we believe in Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid, so let's make these things solvent. Let's make them work better, which is a nice way of saying, let's cut them. Let's give more, let's give more tax breaks to rich people who don't need it, but let's take away money from the people who are desperately in need of this money. That sounds like a brilliant fucking idea, doesn't it? Tapper said when Ryan was speaker, the then President Trump had little appetite to make substantial changes to those programs. And that's true. 
The Republicans wanted him to do that, but Donald Trump did not want to do that. And that's the one thing I could say that was positive about Donald Trump. He didn't see the value in cutting Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid because any idiot could see that that wasn't a working idea. That wasn't something that was going to benefit the party. Why they think it is, I have no fucking clue. Tapper said, I know that when you were speaker and Donald Trump was president, you guys would talk about this. And he did not understand why you would ever want to do it because it's bad politics. And Ryan replied, he just didn't think it was popular. Yeah, that's right. Which would translate into fucking bad politics, you idiot. Never liked Paul Ryan. Tapper asked how Republicans could agree to reform social safety net when its de facto leader, who is running again in 2024, seems so adverse to doing it. A couple of things, Ryan said. He's fading fast. He's a proven loser. He cost us the House in 18. He cost us the White House in 2020. He cost us the Senate again. And again, and I think we all know that. I think we're moving past Trump. I really think that's the case. I can't imagine getting him the nomination, frankly. Well, that's nice that you recognize that. Frankly, you would have done much better if you recognized that four or five years ago when it was obvious that he was going to be a horrific president. But no, you guys stuck by him. You, Paul Ryan, you supported him all the way up to the point where you retired or resigned or whatever it is. You were his buddy. And now he's fading fast. He's on the run. He's going to become a pariah. Now you finally get some balls and say, yeah, Donald Trump's not a good guy. Well, I tell you what, Democrats knew that in 2017. And so should have you. But you didn't. You stuck with him too fucking long. I don't see them touching Social Security again. Anything they try to do will cause a stir in the House, but it'll never get to the floor in the Senate. It will never pass. Nothing's going to happen with that, so don't get all worked up about it. Don't take the bait from the media. Get all upset and watch them incessantly so they make money. I'm tired of the media in this country whether they be the far right or the left or the middle. None of them employ any journalistic values. None of them are good sources for the full story. And frankly, that's why I do what I do with the Rational Boomer podcast. I'm not doing anything incredibly smart here. I'm just taking the whole story, telling you the whole story, and then trying to get a feel for where that's going to go based on all the facts instead of just the fucking clickbait that most media deals with. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. Again, a reminder, unless something goes wrong, we will have a listener on the next show, and her name is Denise. I believe it's, yeah, it's Denise. And uh, she'll be on the show, and it'll be interesting. She's never been on the show before, so it's always fun to see where this goes. You have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.